This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. This past week uh, we were doing an Easter egg hunt in our neighborhood and had an opportunity to share with a young boy. The young man looks up at me, he's about 10 years old, and he says, let me ask you a question. This is like in the middle of doing this devotional about the resurrection and uh, reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible. He says, What's God? I mean, it's like, is it like a, like an animal? Is he like a, a person? I mean, what's God? That's a great question. And at first I'm kind of like, what do you mean? Is he an animal? What are you talking about? Is God an animal? And I'm thinking, well, I mean, there, you know, there's, there's Chronicles of Narnia presents, there's an Aslam who's kind of like Jesus and he's a lion and, you know, and the Bible says he's a lion and a lamb. And, what, you know, it's not, I'm not, I don't want to totally dismiss what he's saying. And, but I'm, I'm listening to him. And basically what I'm hearing him say is he's trying to understand God in, in, within language and categories and, and things that he knows. Right? And so to say, well, God is other than us. Well, that makes no sense to him. I mean, it could make sense. But, but it's hard for him to be able to grasp what God is. And I think that's true for all of us in some ways. I think we just kind of push ahead assuming that we all know who God is and we don't really stop to say, well, really, what is God? Who is God? I mean, what if your kids ask you that question? What would you say? What is God? Well, the, the reality is that the Word of God has given us some descriptions and some insights on who God is. Uh, we're told in John chapter 4, verse 24, the woman at the well talking to Jesus and, and uh, in their, the midst of their conversation, uh, they're talking about, well, your people worship over there, my people worship over here, and whatever, but who's to know whose people are right? And blah, 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 blah. You go on this whole conversation, and God simply, Jesus simply stops her and says, God is spirit. God is spirit. And those who worship Him, worship Him in spirit and truth. God is spirit. So one of the things we know about God is God is spirit. We also know that God is love. First John chapter 4, verse 8, says that God is love. But then here we have it in First John 4. 1 5, it says that God is light. God is light. We're given descriptions of God who is not a man. Now, he has manifested himself as a man, put on flesh, part of one of the persons of God. God's one God, three persons, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. The second person of God has, has in obedience to the Father, come to earth and put on flesh. The incarnation, the birth of Christ. We celebrate that Christmas. Lived a perfect life. Died on the cross in our place. Substitutionary atonement, covering for our sins. Okay, that's Jesus, God with flesh. But specifically, when you're just looking at God in a general term, God is light. God is, not God is in the light. God, God is light. Not God is a light. God is light. That's a description of God. It's a reference to His being and His nature. And, and to say that is just to help us be able to grasp and have a kind of a concept of who He is. But there's so much in that and there's so much through Scripture that reveals that. Now, I, I read this um, week a writer, religious writer for um, Think the, um, the New Yorker or uh, New York Times. I cannot remember which paper. But nonetheless, his name is Nicholas Kristof. And he interviewed back in uh, December Tim Keller, who's a conservative, solid, uh, 
Bible-believing uh, pastor in Manhattan, and he asked him the question, am I a Christian or what makes a person a Christian? And Tim Keller was, was awesome and spot on on his answers explaining the gospel to him and not backing down on those things. But uh, recently, right before Easter, in time for Easter, uh, he interviewed President Jimmy Carter. And he asked him a series of questions, and he asked him what he thinks about the Bible. He asked President Carter, he said, what about someone like me whose faith is in the Sermon on the Mount? In other words, I believe in the religious teachings of Jesus, the spiritual things he says, who aspires to follow Jesus' teachings, but is skeptical that he was born of a virgin, walked on water, multiplied loaves and fishes, and had physical a physical resurrection. I don't know about that stuff. I don't really... Nah. I am a Christian. Am I a Christian, President Carter? Am I a Christian? In other words, I believe in the teachings of Jesus within one little set and section of the Bible. I really don't believe in the rest of his stuff and the miracles and other things that he did, supposedly, and whatever. I'm not really into that stuff. Am I a Christian, President Carter? What would you say if you were asked that by somebody? A neighbor asks you that. Maybe it's a conversation or somebody from work and they ask you, well, what do you think? I've made this moral decision, that moral decision. I've done these bad things in my life. Can I be a Christian? Am I a Christian? I, I believe in God. What would you say? Would you would you give them the platitudes and would you go the easy route and would you go and would you just try to take the the path of least resistance and and just be like, well, it's not really for me to judge. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not really for me to judge. I mean, if you say it, you believe, in God, yeah, I guess you are. Or would you go a little further? I mean, what's your understanding of what is it that makes somebody a Christian? What is it that really what does that mean? Well, former president answered this way. He said, I do not judge whether someone else is a Christian. Jesus said, judge not. And I try to apply the teachings of Jesus in my own life, often without success. Al Mohler in the briefing is explaining some of this and he has some commentary on this. He says, now at this point, we have to recognize as perhaps the point was most made clear by Gresham Machen, the great defender of Protestant orthodoxy in the 20th century, writing back um, less than 100 years ago, he said, we cannot read any other individual's heart. Only the Lord can do that. But at the same time, the Christian church has to understand that we have to judge what people say about their beliefs in the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the basis of their testimony, we come to understand whether they actually are a Christian or not. And as much as I admire Nicholas Kristof for asking the question, can, am I a Christian? I can't admire the answer that comes from President Carter that we simply, this is Al Mohler speaking, that we simply can't say who's a Christian and who is not. On that score, it's not that we're not much, uh, that we're so much trying to read hearts. We are simply understanding the words that are expressed in the person's definition of their understanding of Christianity, their own testimony. Later in the column, we read this from Nicholas Kristof. He says, one of my problems with evangelicalism is that it normally argues that one can only can be, can be saved only through a personal relationship with Jesus, which seems to consign Gandhi to hell. Do you believe that, President Carter? President Carter said, I do not feel qualified to make that judgment i am inclined to give him and others the benefit of any doubt now at that point el Mohler says we simply must have pause for a moment the issue of anyone's eternal destiny actually has nothing to do with 
what you or I or any other human being thinks about them. This is a very interesting transfer of the question from the reality of God's judgment to our preference for how we might make that judgment. In this, we are simply reminded once again of our absolute dependence upon Scripture. Because in Scripture, we have a very clear testimony to the fact that there is an eternal difference between those who confess Jesus as Lord and those who do not. In other words, eternal difference of heaven and hell. The Bible doesn't leave this as an open question. This is where, for example, in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This is where the apostle said that if you confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We have to remember that in the New Testament, Jesus himself makes it very clear that the reality of final judgment, the fact that it has everything to do with whether we'll go to heaven or hell. There is simply no basis for any kind of calculation that might that we might judge others. That is irrelevant The question is, how will God judge? And that's the reflection, not a reflection of ourselves. It is a reflection of God's righteousness. Now, let me give you the last thought on this. And this is the reason I bring this up, his analysis of this conversation. He says, now, here's the pattern in terms of deeper understanding. This is exactly what many people expect of us. When you have spiritual conversations or you even think about your own relationship with God, what many people expect is that... When we are asked about Scripture, we will respond just as President Carter saying this is the part we accept. This is the part we do not accept as if that is right. In other words, we can say, well, I believe this part, but I don't believe this part. Furthermore, when it comes to the question about divine judgment, the pattern that we see in this column is exactly what people expect of us. When someone asks us, as Nicholas Kristof did ask President Carter, do you believe that those who have not confessed Christ, will go to heaven. They expect us to answer in terms of our own analysis of fairness, not in terms of biblical truth. They expect us to answer regarding what we feel like, what we feel like would be fair in our moral judgments and not in biblical truth. That's where we find biblical Christians very much in the odd predicament here in the 21st century. People expect us to answer out of emotional response and out of our own moral calculation. This society, by and large, no longer even expects us to answer on the basis of biblical revelation. Now, why do I say all that? Because when we talk about the fact that what is true faith in a post-truth world, we have to understand that people don't really care what the Bible says because they have already written off the fact that there is inerrant truth that there is truth without error that the bible is reliable they don't even they don't even think that they think that the bible is reliable so much as you agree with certain parts and you can take the parts you like and you can throw out the parts you don't like undoubtedly here's the shocker many of you actively or inactively consciously or unconsciously believe the same thing That there's parts of the Bible we can believe and there's parts we don't. There's parts I take serious and there's parts I really don't. And we've kind of written off the fact that we can't really fully understand the Bible. And so the stuff I don't really understand or I don't really agree with, there must be some more to the information. I'm just going to go with what I feel like and I perceive to be true rather than what the Bible says. 
And here's the problem with that. You do not truly know yourself. And I don't truly know myself in the fullest sense. I don't know truly who I am. And I cannot partly, I cannot truly have a self-understanding, a true understanding of who I am and my predicament and what's going on in my life apart from really knowing God truly and knowing what He says about me. To not know yourself, to not know God is to, is to, to not be able to fully understand yourself. If you're going to understand yourself on a deeper level, you've got to understand God and what He says of you, what He views you uh, as and, and how you relate to Him because that defines you more than anything else is your belief in God. That defines you. Which goes back to the statement, God is light and in Him there is no darkness. What does that mean? Is that significant for us? Well, if we're going to understand what true faith is, which is what this book is going to go on to say, in chapter 5 it's going to say, if you, I've written these things that you can know that you are children of God. And he's confronting heresies and false truths about who God is and how people have misunderstood or misrepresented Christianity. There was a group in their church that John is writing about that have broken off and they're teaching false truths about God, lies about Jesus and knowing Christ and what it means to be a Christian. And he's confronting that. But as we look at those, before we can go to look at what is the false, well, that we first we have to go back to why it is false in it. And to understand the lie, we, we need to first look at the truth of who God is. And that is that God is light, even in an era of post-truth world. Um, the quality of preferring concepts or facts one wishes to be true, rather than concepts or facts that they know to be truth or, or that are known to be true. We believe what we want to believe. We believe what we wish to believe. We don't really believe what is truth. We don't want to believe the truth. We want to believe what we, the version of the truth that we find most palatable. And there is danger in that. And so in this verse, there's a whole bunch of things that we learn and, and we want to dive into some of the concepts of light in our moments that we have together. Throughout the Bible, the concept of light God being light or, or light used as a metaphor is not an uncommon thing. In fact, it's not uncommon in our culture. It's not uncommon through world religions. People all over the place talk about the light. Buddha, in his great uh, time of meditation and enlightenment, um, he discovered he was in a search for the light. He was trying to understand the light. And so he was in search of something. And it was in that that he had this revelation that led to his teachings, the teachings of Buddhism that come out of Hinduism. And, and so that was his pursuit of the light. And the Bible is interesting because it's distinct from that because it doesn't say that it represents the light or it's the way to the light. It says that God is the light. Jesus said that I am the light. He said he was the light. And so it's different. Not the same. Metaphors, same metaphors as far as light, darkness used. But but what the, how Bi- the Bible presents uh, and God has revealed light to us is interesting. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 says... Who alone has immortality? Who dwells in in unapproachable light? He who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. What a prayer to pray. Even God, you, Father God, who dwells in unapproachable light. God dwells in unapproachable light. Psalms 104 Verse 2 says, covering yourself with light as with a garment. God covers himself with light as if someone would cover themselves with a garment. Stretching out the heavens like a tent. He covers himself with light as a garment. Metaphors of 
darkness and light throughout the Bible describe several things. Um, one of them is it speaks of the physicality, physically, uh, physicality of, of God. Physically, it represents the glory of God. Light physically, when it's referred to physically, it represents the glory of God, that He, He, uh, dwells in unapproachable light. Interestingly enough, the only revelations of God where we see Him, who you cannot see, in the Bible is when he presents himself really as light. We see this throughout the Bible. There's there's appearances of God as light in his glory at Mount Sinai, leading them cloud by day uh, or by not, by day, fire by night. You know, cloud comes from fire. Uh, he's presenting himself as, as light. He he um, manifests himself on the Mount Transfiguration. Jesus manifests himself in light. The revelation um of, of Jesus in the beginning of the book of Revelation. He is, we see Jesus in, in his glory and his, his face shines like the sun. We find that in Ezekiel. We find that when, when God manifests himself to Abraham, making a covenant with Abraham where they sacrifice a bunch of animals and God goes between those animals showing kind of the, uh, his accepting of this covenant and his promise being made of this covenant between he and Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, which is the basis of the verse we've been memorizing. And God goes through us like this burning thing of fire this this um <clears throat> pot of burning over flowing over of fire and he goes through and he manifests himself as fire as light and often when we see appearances of god manifesting himself it is veiled with they're not seeing god so much as they're seeing him being clothed in light and so god manifests himself and physically he's represented by glory light also refers intellectually thinking light is referred to in the Bible as truth. Truth and darkness, by contrast, is error. So by truth and darkness is error and ignorance. So to know the truth, to know, to be, to understand the light, to know the light, to be under the light, is to know the truth. By contrast, those who do not know and accept the truth are in error and in ignorance. Okay, so they're in error because they're not in the light. They can't see and they're ignorant of that reality. It's like if we were to turn out the lights completely in this room and we were to say, uh, you know, run for an exit and we turn off the exit lights too. Okay, um, you would have a difficulty getting to where you're trying to go. Which exit? Which door? Where are the doors? What about the chairs? What about the people? What about the, you would be running around in error and in ignorance, not really knowing where to go. I mean, you can have a general idea, but you really don't know. And you're stumbling in the darkness. It'd be a really difficult, awkward, bad thing, which is why the, we have to have backup batteries in these little exit lights because we don't want people in error and ignorance in the event of a uh, fire, right? We want them to be able to find their way out. And in the same way, uh, we understand that intellectually light is truth, darkness, error and Ignorance and then morally light is referred to it's a reference to purity, holiness. Light is purity and darkness, by contrast, is evil. God's light exposes all because there is there can be no shadows. That's why, uh, you know, romantic dinners, you know, they're all about a little candlelight. Why is that? 
Because it doesn't expose everything. That's why it says everything's a little romantic around the candlelight. It's not because it's it's romantic. It's because there's shadows, right? And we like to hide in the shadows, right? And so, uh, you know, light exposed. That's why, you know, you go in your kitchen, you flip on the light, cockroaches scatter, bugs scatter, you know, whatever. The, the counter looks dirty. Everything's, we see stuff when you put the light on. It's scary. You know, there's certain times that, uh, of the day where the sun's, you know, rising or falling and it comes in different windows and different angles and there's something about the sunlight. You know, you could put the lights on and your, your light bulbs and the light could be on, you know, the sun could be, you know, shining outside. But when the rays of sunlight are coming through your windows, have you ever noticed how much it exposes? I mean, for that matter, there's like dust particles in the air. Like you need to dust. What's the point? We'd have like the, the filter all the air, sweep the whole thing. We can't, we can't even breathe. There's dust everywhere, right? It just seems an insurmountable test. So you shouldn't dust. It's just no point. No, I'm kidding. You should dust. You should dust. It's good. My mom didn't hear me say that. She always made me. You dust every week. You have to dust your room. And I'm going to come in there with a white glove and I'm going to check to make sure you really, that she may or may not have said that. I'm not, I'm not. Well, flashback, sorry. Um, but that was good training for me. Anyways, physically, intellectually, morally. Thank you, Mom. Appreciate that. Um, so physically, intellectually, morally. Uh, two other thoughts on that. Light reveals the truthfulness of God. It is the revelation of, and it reveals to us, the truthfulness of God. God's revelation through the law and the prophets is described, interestingly enough, in terms of light. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the commandment is the lamp. And your teaching is the light. Commandment is the lamp, your teaching is light. Psalms 119, you know this psalm. Psalms 119 verse 105 says that thy word is, or your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my what? Path. And so the lamp is the commandments. The light is the teachings of the prophets in the Old Testament. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 19. We have, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until God's, the light of God's truth rises in your hearts. Look to the truth of his word until he reveals it in your heart. So the commandments are the lamp of, uh, for our feet and the prophets the light for our eyes or for our path. God intends that people would also be that his people would be a light for the nations. That not only once the light comes when awakens in our hearts, that we would take the light. It's not just for us, but that we would take the light to the ends of the earth, to the nations. In Isaiah chapter forty-two, verse six, it says, "It will I will give you a new I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations." And then it goes on to say in chapter forty-four, verse six, "His salvation to the ends of the earth, that we would be a light and take the light of the gospel." As it shines in our lives to the ends of the earth. God is light. It reveals the truthfulness of God. It also reveals the fact that um, it reveals the righteousness of God. Used to symbolize the righteousness of God. In Isaiah 5 verse 20. Interesting. It says this. Woe to you who calls evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. This is the world we live in. This is the world we live in. It is crazy. Crazy. I mean, like, crazy times we live in. I mean, like, in, in New York, they're like fighting over, there's legislation being passed, 
uh, has been passed to mandate the size of a soft drink that you can drink. You cannot have, you should not. A big gulp. Drink a big gulp full of Coca-Cola. You know how much sugar you're putting in your body? What are you thinking? Ridiculous. Hey, we think there should be some legislation to protect unborn children in their parents' wombs. No, 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 no. You don't go and tell a woman what she does with her body. We're going to tell you what you can drink and what you can't drink and how much of a portion you can get and whether you should get refills or what kind of oils you can have your stuff fried with. We'll tell you all that. But but a woman can determinate, can uh, can uh, terminate the pregnancy within her, a baby, a child within her. That is alive unquestionably. And that's all right. Why do we call what's good evil and what is evil good? And I'm not saying that drinking a big gulp is good. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we are, it's like, how can we legislate certain things and then be so adamant about freedom in other areas that results in death, killing, and slaughtering of babies? I mean, I don't understand that. And you step back and you go, what are people doing? Well, I'll tell you what they're doing. The lights have gone off. The exit signs are off. And people are stumbling in darkness and erring ignorance. And they're tripping over themselves in stupidity that they can't even see the moral contradictions and what they vote for and what they proclaim and what they advocate and what they post on Facebook. They don't even know the difference. They can't see the disconnect in their thoughts. Why? Because they're ignorant and in error. Because they don't know the light. They're calling what's good and evil. What's evil is good because they don't understand righteousness. That's the problem. And that should make us somewhat empathetic, knowing that they they really don't know. So when we look at verse 5, it says this, this message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. What what does that mean? Well, a couple thoughts on this, just looking at the text. I just want to break down this verse a little bit for you. The message, the phrase, the message we have heard, it implies that this is a concept of God that people can't find or form on their own. You're not going to figure this out on your own. Nobody just sits in a, you know, Indian style under a tree and figures out God is light. No, they're going to come up with some other errant view thinking that they're the light or that they know a path of light or some other way, but they're not going to come to a discovery through their own meditation and contemplation in their fallen brain uh, with the effects of sin on it. They'll never do the math and come up with the equation, God is light and in Him is no darkness apart from the revelation of God. And so what's beautiful here is the reality that God is light is a revelation. It is not a discovery. This is what the message we have heard from him. That has been given, it's been declared, it's been revealed to us. From him, we proclaim now to you. It's been revealed to us. God has opened our eyes to see this. And we know this to be true. And now we see clearly what we saw, what we could not see before. Because our eyes were darkened and we were in ignorance and sin. We couldn't see. Our eyes have been opened. Now we see and this that we have seen, we now proclaim to you, as some have proclaimed it to us, we now proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness. To proclaim is the, pes- the, 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 the word that refers to angels or messengers. It's used in both contexts. And that we have been given a responsibility of 
messaging this to other people. We are messengers to proclaim as it's been proclaimed to us. In other words, mutual fellowship between um, between one another. For us to have real true fellowship with one another, we're going to have to have um, mutual knowledge of the reality that God is light. God is love. God is spirit. God is life. That doesn't come by meditation. It comes by your own wisdom and philosophy and figuring it out. It doesn't come by reading religious books. It doesn't come by trying to do the right things. It doesn't come by following and living by the Sermon on the Mount. Nicholas Kristof. It doesn't come by that. You can do all you want and you're never going to come to the revelation of God being light and of truth and of righteousness and of what is right by your own intellectual exercises. It's not going to happen. God's being in His nature is that He is light and in Him is no darkness. Literally, if you were to take that word, I did the best. I'm not spectacular in Greek by any means. I'm not going to be, I'm going to be a preacher. I will not be a scholar uh, translating Greek anytime soon. But um, I can stumble through it enough to where, um, and sometimes it's kind of fun. It, it's where things are worded backwards. But if you really translate as literally as you as, as you can, in him is no darkness at all. Literally, the translation would be darkness in him. There is not. Whatsoever. It's a double negative. Darkness in him. God, there is not. There's no darkness in him. Whatsoever. There's none. It's a double statement. In case you didn't get it the first time, there's no darkness in him. At all. I mean, in any way. None. God is light and in him is no, he doesn't lie. He doesn't misrepresent the truth. He doesn't give us what we want to hear. He tells us, he reveals what is truth. Whether we like it, whether we don't like it, doesn't matter. God's not trying to win us over to be his friends. He is the light. And in him is no darkness. He can't lie. He can't give us a version of the truth. He cannot help but reveal. He is light and he is light reveals what is true and what is not true. That is who God is in his very nature. So here's the problem with this verse. If God is light, then what are we? What does that say about us? And here's this is the part that's critical. Because next week we're going to look at um, several, three heresies, three false truths, three lies of religion. The three lies of religion, or three of the lies of religion. There's many more. But three of the prominent lies that John's dealing with, and, and we will have to be honest, that we battle with. And, and they're, they're difficult to look at. But three of the lies of false religion. But before we can understand that, we're going to look at that. We have to first clearly be defined in understanding and have revealed to us that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. And we have to understand the implications of that. So here's the implications of that as we find in Scripture. Okay, God is light. So what are we? What does that say about us if God is light? Well, first of all, apart from God's revelation. Sorry, that doesn't really phrase doesn't make sense. Apart from God's revelation, will um Apart from God's, we'll love the darkness. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. Apart from God, we love, not we'll love, we will love the darkness more than the light. Apart from God, we will love the darkness more than the light. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 
21. In fact, let's uh, let's take a second and go there because this is a verse many of you have memorized, and and I think uh, it's it's one of the it's used to be the most well known verse in the Bible, John 3:16. Now the most well known verse in the Bible is uh, Matthew 6:7. I forget the chapter. Uh, Judge not, lest we be ju- lest you be judged. That's the most quoted verse in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Verse 16 begins. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Sound familiar? You know that verse. But have you ever read the rest of the chapters? Actually, a little or the rest of the paragraph. Here's the rest of the statement. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him, Nicholas Kristof, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. So here's the judge. Judge not lest you be judged. Don't judge. Okay, well, don't judge it. But here's the judgment. You don't have to judge, but God's judge. Here's the judgment. The judgment is this. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been Carried out by in God. Those who know the light, they, they don't run into darkness because they want their deeds to be seen because God's changed and transformed. They don't have to hide from anything. God has provided a covering for their sins. And they understand that God has so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And because of the implications of that truth, they don't have to hide anymore. But most people hide because they hate the light. And so apart from God, apart from God's intervention, we love the darkness more than the light. That's what the verse says. It says people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. Dirty people don't want the light. They don't want it to be revealed. The the second implication about us is that wicked people love the darkness and avoid the light. Not only do we love the darkness, but we also, wicked people will love the darkness and avoid the light. They'll not just love it, but they'll want to avoid and stay away from it. I've kind of already referred to that, but that's the second part of this phrase. They love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Then verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20 says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Now, you say, well, I, I would not hide from the light. I mean, I love the light. I'm not, okay, well, when, when sin is confronted in your life, um, why is it that we often deflect? Why are we like, well, it's really not me. Well, it was really, that. well, see, the issue is that, that why do we blame other, well, you don't understand, see, uh, the reason I'm like this, the reason this situation happens is because you, what they, they, you don't know what they, but I, I'm telling you, we blame, we pretend. No, no, I'm really good. I, I'm, I, yeah, I got it. I mean, I got it. I can, I can do this. I can do it. Or we perform. We perform. I'm going to do better next time. I'm going to do better. Or, or we just get busy. 
I mean, how many churches are full of just super busy stuff? I mean, they got all kinds of stuff going. It's so awesome. It's incredible. There's all these godly, amazing people that are so busy doing spiritual stuff. And the reality is, they're hiding. Do you ever think that busyness in religious institutions and in churches is a place where people can hide from the light and be in darkness and nobody will ask questions because if they're serving in the kids area, they're serving in the baby area, they're serving and teaching this or on that committee or working here or working there or doing this, then they obviously are godly people. I had a conversation with a with a friend that, that had been in church for years, been a deacon, served, um, helped widows, in, the, in their church as a deacon, mowed the lawn, did all kinds of ministry, all kinds of stuff. I mean, just tons of stuff. And yet knows very little about the Bible, has hardly read the Bible, has, has really been kind of disinterested in the Bible. It just because just felt like it was unapproachable for him. He just couldn't understand it, whatever. And it just, but man, the guy is, has been faithful and serving hard. Great guy. But spiritually, an infant, not able to drink more than a little bit of milk. Why? Because... He's been busy and yet hasn't really, it's not overflowing. It's not that we shouldn't serve. I mean, if you're growing and you're in the light and you are not hiding from the dark, why wouldn't you serve? You should serve. It doesn't mean that busy people in churches are necessarily ungodly. But I am saying that, but just because you're busy doesn't mean you're godly. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. If you're busy, doesn't mean you're ungodly, but it certainly doesn't mean that you are godly. And, and so that you know the light. Wicked people, we avoid the light when we are in wickedness. Thirdly, reveals to us apart from God, that everyone is blinded by the light. Blinded from the light. The goal of the devil has always been to distract from and distort the glory and revelation of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. Verses 4 through 6. In their case, the God of this world, little g, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He's blinded their eyes to keep them from seeing the gospel of the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ reference to the light, the radiance of Christ, who is the image of God. For we, for what we proclaim to is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as his servants for your sake. And so he says, the mind, the, the God of this world has blinded their minds, the minds of unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, you want to see God, you want God to be revealed to you. He was revealed most beautifully through Christ is the revelation of God and is the light of God. And this verse clarifies it in verse six a little more, which brings up the next point. We need God to reveal his light in our hearts. Chapter four, verse six of second Corinthians says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, is revealed, he's exposed in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Okay, let me, I want you, your brains to catch up here, okay? okay I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane here, so, but, but don't zone out on me yet, alright? So, um, just, it's raining. You're going to get very wet in pneumonia, probably, if you leave right now. So just give me a second, Okay. Here's what he says. God has shown in our hearts, revealed, to give the light of the knowledge. Remember, those who are in darkness, they don't have knowledge. They don't see. They can't see. 
They have no hope of seeing. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. We're, we're born in our trespasses and sins and in our, we're blinded towards God. We don't see. But, but God, but God has been kind enough to let the light shine out of darkness and he has shown in our hearts. What has he shown? What has he shown us in our hearts? What is it that he's, what has he revealed? To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. He has been nice enough to show you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. He wants you to understand God's glory. He wants you to see God for who he is. Because again, as I said at the very beginning, you can't know yourself apart from knowing God. You want to know yourself? Got to know God. God is glorious. You got to see God for who he is. Well, how can we see God? And how can we see his glory? How is he? Where is that? How is that possible? Listen to how he says it. It's beautiful. This is beautiful. He says, shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's in the face of Jesus that we see the glory of God shown in our hearts, revealed to us. It's in the person of Christ, more simply put, that we find the light. He is the light. First Thessalonians 5, 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. For those who are followers of Christ, they now have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And now they're children of the light because God is light. He's revealed his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And now they're children of light and they have their obligation, the responsibility, yea, the privilege the mandate, the command to go and share and proclaim and be messengers of the light to those who are in darkness, who are trapped in rooms without light. And we can go in having seen. We see, we understand. We go in with with like night vision goggles and we can walk in and we can navigate because we understand those are in the light. We understand because God has opened our eyes to see what we couldn't see in our own philosophies and our own intellectualism and our own trying to figure out our own efforts to try to be good stumbling through the darkness. We can't find our way, but we can come into the room where people are trapped. And we can walk right past the enemy who entraps them. And we can see clearly. We can help people see the light. Now, God has to reveal it to them. He has to open their eyes. But we can be the ones to share with them and to begin to talk. Hey, listen, I want you to know you're in darkness That's why you keep running into the chairs and bumping into other people. No, I am not. Who do you think? What arrogance do you think? What right do you have to tell me you know the way? Well, I've got light vision. I can see. I can see. Who says you can? I'm just telling you, you, there's a chair right for you. One more step. You're going to up. You bumped it again. I told you. You're going to bump it. If you keep going in that direction, there's a cliff there. If you keep going in that direction... There's, there's, you're gonna hurt yourself. There's something that's gonna hurt. How arrogant are you to judge? I'm, I'm not, I love you. I love you and I'm just trying, I just love you. I'm trying to tell you. God's gonna have to reveal to them, but He's called us to go. Romans 10 says, how are they gonna hear? How are they gonna know? How are they in sin and ignorance and in error? How are they possibly gonna know apart from somebody going and telling them? Somebody has to go and tell them. And then it goes on and it says, not only as somebody have to go and tell them, he goes on to say, you know, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, the gospel, to those who are in darkness. And then it says, who's going to go apart from God sending? And the reality is God has sent you, if you are in the light, to go share with those in darkness that God is light and in him is no darkness. There's no lies. There's no deception. There's no trickery. There's no bait and switch. There's no, there's no trick 
Here, it's, it's just God is light, man, in Him is no dark. We don't have to hide, we don't have to pretend, we don't have to fake, we don't have to perform, we don't have to earn. God's love, you can't do any of that, you can't do any of that stuff. But the, but the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. We are desperate need for God to reveal His light in our hearts. Lastly, to see and know God's light is to walk in that light. Here's where it gets difficult for us. And I'm done with this thought. Where it gets difficult is the effect of being of God being light doesn't just mean believers can now see, but that believers can now walk. When you, when you understand God's light, it's not that you can just, now you see. It means that you can actually walk. But if you're walking, if you profess to walk in the light, you keep running into the same chair, wall, not able to find the exit, continue to be in darkness, and your life is indicative of one who's in darkness, and you're walking in circles, and you keep bumping into the same stuff, then at some point you have to ask the question, not, well, I guess the light doesn't work, but maybe I don't really have the light. Maybe I don't see as clearly as I thought I saw. If you have the light, okay, it, it means that you not only see, but you can actually walk. It's not just about believing and knowing the truth. It's, it's evidenced in are you doing the truth? Is the truth evident in you? Is it evident in you? That's what the best of the passage is going to say. We'll get there next week. That's the errors. That's the lies of false religion. It says that you can believe one thing and do something else, and that's false religion. Jesus followers are not expected to be light or to become like the light. We are simply expected to walk in the light, and then we have been called to be children of the light. And so understanding these things, we are children of the light. We have been given the light that we could take it to the nations, that we could proclaim it to the ends of the earth as what God has called us to do. And so in conclusion, here's the thought for you. As we move in a time of reflection and thinking about these things, do you know the light? Or do you just keep running into the same chair, the same wall, falling off the same cliff? It's like Groundhog's Day in your life. You just keep the same thing, just keeps happening again and again and again. And it just, it's been difficult. And you just like, I just don't know if God's really, maybe you should stop for a second and go, God, do I really know you? Do you really, do I really know the light? Or am I been, have I been blinded by the God of this world to think I knew something that I really didn't know, to think I had something that I really didn't have? And do I know the light of the truth, of the gospel, of the glory of Christ? If you know that you know, not that you're perfect, but you know that you, you do see the light, you know the light, you know that God is light and you're pursuing Him. Well then, how are you doing at that relationship with Christ? Is there some disconnect, some problems there? Are you, do, you, do you know that you know that you have the light, but you still are choosing to walk in darkness? You go back to that? You want to go back into the room of darkness? Why is that? What's the deal there? And, and then thirdly, if you know the light, you're walking with God, you're doing good, but you don't care about people in darkness, why not? How could you not? How could you not care about people in darkness? How could you not? They're just so messed up. They're going to get what they deserve. Well, if you got what you deserve, you wouldn't have the light. What do you mean they're going to get what they deserved? And God forbid you ever sit in front of a Nicholas Kristoff and he asks you, am I a Christian? And you say, yes. It's not for me to judge. And leave him in darkness and error and sin and not say to him, I want you to know in the most loving terms I can that Jesus said he's the only way. He's the light. He's the life. He's the way, the truth, and the, the life. No one comes to Father but through him. God is the light. He is the truth. He is the one and the way. I would love for you to know him. 
We, when we see God in all of His goodness and righteousness, we see ourselves with our faults and our sin. This is normal experience. Those who live in the light by having close fellowship with God are going to see sin exposed in their life, but you deal with it rightly. You confess it. You repent of it. You trust in Christ. And understand He loves us in, in spite of our faults. He loves us in spite of our ignorance. And He has sent the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to us. To know Him, to walk in Him, and to proclaim Him. Let's pray. Father, help us know if we know You. Help us, Father, if we know You in the light. We found that in the face of Christ Jesus, to walk in that. And if we know You and we have repented of whatever sin is in our life and we're trusting in Jesus, then help us, Father, to go share the light of the truth, the glory of Christ with the world around us. Father, help us to be broken over those in darkness. Help us to be grieved over those that call what is evil good and what is good is evil. Instead of being judgmental about their politics and their position and their religiosity or lack of religion and their immorality, God, may we be broken over their ignorance and be moved with compassion and give us the the love to come with to them compellingly, lovingly, graciously. And God, break our hearts. Help us to see, first and foremost, that you are light. And in you is no darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.